I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing, we're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024. And grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Hey folks, Rip here. Before we get started, I'd love to read a recent review from a podcast listener. The title is Great Plant Food. It's a five-star rating and the author is Paula E. I appreciate there's a place that I can buy foods I can trust without question. I feel this is not always possible in today's world. I'm in about my eighth plant-based month, and I'm trying to manage feeding myself as simply and as easily as possible. I trust the Esselstyn family and was so relieved to see Rip offering the food I want. As of this time, I'm buying the big bowl cereals, the broths, the stews, the popcorn, and the pizza crust kits so I can always have something ready, dependable, and safe. Thank you. Well, thank you, Paula. And huge continued success on your plant-based journey to stock up on the best-tasting, nutritious, convenient, 100% plant-strong foods. Be sure to visit plantstrongfoods.com. Now, let's get right to it with Selesh. And I said, well, you know, we, I mean, as engineers here, we work on solutions to problems, which reverse the problem. <laughs> we, we have to address it holistically. So, so Climate Healers was... Uh, was started to address climate change holistically. How do you reverse climate change? How do you heal the climate? It's a little bit like, you know, maintaining your body with um, yeah. uh, <laughs> with metformin when you have diabetes as opposed to reversing the diabetes. I'm Rip Esselstyn and welcome to the Plant Strong podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plant Strong journey. 
and I hope that you enjoy the show. I want you to imagine a world where we can all come together to heal, heal ourselves, heal collectively, and heal the planet. I know it sounds virtually impossible, but but it isn't. And my friends, that time is now. My guest today, Celeste Rao, is one of the most intelligent, compassionate, and passionate people on the planet. He is actually one of the brains behind the high-speed internet and high-def communication that we so enjoy today. But in 2006, he switched careers and became deeply immersed full-time in solving the environmental crises affecting humanity. Through his organization, Climate Healers, he invites us to all become V-E-G-A-N, that is, Vitally Engaged Guardians of Animals and Nature. Now, here's something that I know all of you parents and grandparents can relate to. In 2010, Celeste made a pinky promise to his granddaughter to do whatever he could to put an end to animal cruelty and to heal the climate by 2026. Now, that's fastly approaching, and he can't do it alone. Celeste invites all of us to come together and help spread the message that all life is one family, and like a caterpillar emerges from its cocoon as a gorgeous butterfly, it's time for us to also emerge and evolve into something as beautiful for the sake of our planet. Please welcome Celeste Rao, founder of climatehealers.org. Celeste Rao, I want to welcome you to the Plant Strong podcast. Thank you so much for all of your fantastic work with Climate Healers. And I want to talk today about your personal journey and then how it is that you started Climate Healers and what you would like all of us to do for you to fulfill your pinky promise to your granddaughter, <laughs> right? Which is absolutely of the most imperative important importance so for starters tell me a little bit about yourself were you were you born in the states in india and uh well i was born in india yeah uh, and then i i uh, did my undergraduate in india so i was there until i was 21 years old and then i came to the u.s for my graduate studies so i came to long island for my masters and then i did my phd at stanford and I was a systems, electrical systems engineer. So I went through the information systems laboratory at Stanford, you know. So I joined Bell Labs and then I started working on something called the internet at that time, you know, just <laughs> this, uh, we were trying to make the internet. It was al always there. It's just that we made it available to the public. You know? mm -hmm. So I was working on making it uh, robust. So that was uh, the first 20 years after graduation. That's what I was doing. Well, and you and you um, you co-founded your was it your first company, uh, Silicon right. Design Experts, right? In, in what nineteen ninety one, right? And then that got uh, acquired by Level One in nineteen ninety six, right? And then that and then Level One got acquired by Intel in what nineteen ninety nine for like what two billion or something crazy like two point two billion dollars, yeah, it's the largest yeah. acquisition that Intel had ever made. Wow, wow! And were were you still a part of Level one, or had you said goodbye 
after no no uh, no i was part of level one i was uh, level one bought my company to 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 get gigabit ethernet uh-huh. on the motherboard okay that's what they really wanted and then this level one got bought by intel because intel wanted to put it on the motherboard and they wanted to put it on their microprocessors as well got it so that was craig barrett's vision at that time he was uh-huh. going to integrate everything into the chip so the so intel got it on the motherboard in 2003 and it was on every pc every laptop and it went out hmm. so this is this is this it was the right framing okay for me to come home one day and watch al gore's presentation because i was disillusioned with what was going on in in my technical world yeah because it had become very political it was all about money at that point and uh, so anyway I was disillusioned and I came home one day and I turned on the TV and there was Al Gore talking about climate change and I was so shocked. I told my wife if half of what he's saying is true, why the heck am I wasting my time here, you know? So you already you already have all the money you need. So now yeah. it's like, yeah. 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 Gotcha. Gotcha. And she said if you think it's that important a problem, why don't you study it and why don't you work on that? So cuz she knew that I was disillusioned, you know, yeah. in In, in the technical world so anyway i quit and i mean i basically started working on it full time within 3 months i said this is the because i realized it's far bigger than what al gore was saying mm-hmm. okay because he was only dealing with the energy as the issue and in reality it isn't just energy it's our entire way of life that needs to change uh so i wrote to mr gore and i said how can i help you and he uh, he sent a letter to me asking me to come and get trained by him so i got trained by him in november of uh, 2006 i was in the second batch that he trained so uh while you you got to meet al and get trained by maybe him or some of his people what was your opinion of al gore uh, having met him and and all that well you know i mean uh i thought he was doing a service to humanity to Um, to bring this to our attention uh but then you know during the training i asked him this question about animal agriculture mm-hmm. and so i asked him you know uh, because we know that uh, there is three times as much co2 stored on land than in the atmosphere okay this so the atmosphere has 30% more co2 than it did 200 years ago Yeah. Okay. So we are saying, you know, that's causing all these problems. And I said, so then all you have to do is increase the at the CO2 on land by 10%. And that would uh that would bring down the CO2 in the atmosphere and climate change will be solved, right? So I said, can we not do that? I mean, <laughs> right. There's so much land that we're using for animal agriculture. And so Uh, so that that was the gist of my question uh during his training and he turned to Roy Neal his chief of staff and he said how did this guy get in here <laughs> what yeah so i realized that he didn't want to talk about it mm. and that i had to then you know make a stronger case for my position so i did that in 2009 i got like um, 70 of my colleagues to co-sign a letter with me uh saying that uh, that unless we talk about animal agriculture we are not we are not being true to ourselves we are not re- really telling the whole story yeah because we are going around giving this presentation to people 
right? And uh, he sent back a reply basically saying, it's not as bad as you think, you know, but it's, um, but I do, I do understand that. And I'm, I am figuring out how to deal with it, et cetera, et cetera. So he, he wrote a letter. I think mm-hmm. the letter is also in Glenn Mercer's book, uh, uh-huh. Food is Climate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Both the letters, the letter that I sent, I mean, with my colleagues and the letter that he replied, yeah. his reply. So then I said, okay, maybe he's right and I need to study some more. And I did, you know, and then I waited for, because at that time, Goodland and Anhang had come up with a report saying that animal agriculture is responsible for at least 51% of greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah, and that was in 2009, Nine. right? Yeah. And that was, and that was, was that part of the l- l- livestock's long shadow? No, it is a World Watch Institute had published. Oh, that's it. right. That's right. Yeah. 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 And so there was a debate between uh, Goodland and Anhang, and the World Watch uh, and the uh, UN Food and Agriculture Organization scientists, and that debate happened in the uh, Animal Feed Science and Technology Journal in 2011 and 2012, yeah? Mm-hmm. So at first, the UNFAO scientists argued that, you know, Goodland and Anhang were measuring things that were not correct, etc. You know, so they had a few points that they brought up. And Goodland and Anhang wrote a reply, basically refuting line by line everything that the FAO scientists had said and, and reiterating their numbers. And then the editor asked the FAO scientists, would you like to respond to this? Would you like to continue the debate? And they declined to continue the debate. They declined to continue the debate. And then they repeated their mistakes in the next report. And they actually cut it down a little bit. Yeah. Is that where they cut it back down to 14.5%? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that is egregious. It's egregious. So at that point, I got very upset. And I said, this, I mean, this is science, right? And you can't be manipulating the science because as, as engineers, we are taught to be true to the science. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, if you're not true to the science, then whatever you're building is not going to work. So you'll be wasting everybody's time, you know, by working on things that you know is not going to work. Yeah. So uh, I wrote a second letter to Mr. Gore at that point in 2012, in August of 2012. And uh, basically saying, look, the debate already happened. So which means that animal agriculture is responsible for at least 51% of greenhouse gas emissions, which means that we have to be talking about this. Otherwise, we are wasting everybody's time, right? And uh, and this time he didn't even reply to me. So I basically walked out of the Climate Reality Project soon after. And by that time, I had already started Climate Healers in 2007 because I realized that the way um, Al Gore was presenting it, he was presenting it as a problem. And and his solutions were all based on preventing the problem from getting much worse. Yeah. You know? And I said, well, you know, we, I mean, as engineers here, we work on solutions to problems which reverse the problem. <laughs> we, mm. we have to address it holistically. So, so Climate Healers was, uh, was started to address climate change holistically. How do you reverse climate change? How do you heal the climate? It's a little bit like, you know, maintaining your body with, um, yeah. uh, <laughs> with metformin when you have diabetes as opposed to reversing the diabetes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
so when when did the whole what year did the pinky promise start with your granddaughter mm. Yeah, what happened was, you know, uh, I when I when I went vegan in two thousand eight, uh, I realized that I had been lied to, as a child. Okay, as a child, in my textbooks, they were telling me that you have to eat meat to get protein or dairy, some animal product you have to eat get to get protein, and calcium comes from milk and all that, you know. And I realized I had been lied to. And so when my granddaughter was born in 2010, uh, I began to see her as my teacher. I wanted her to help me un decondition myself. You know, so so I uh, resolved that I was going to do whatever she wanted and help her be my teacher, become my teacher. Basically, I was not going to tell her anything that uh, that would change the way she does things. I would just follow her along. And, and of course, if she does something that's going to hurt her, I'm going to stop that. You know, that's the only condition I had. Other than that, I was going to do whatever she wanted. And that became like a, a, a huge learning experience for me, hmm. learning from a, from a little child. Because I was seeing things through her eyes. And I was seeing all the conditioning that was happening in my life, that had happened in my life. Can you give me an example of a couple of things you learned from her or some of the conditioning? Right. Um, for instance, you know, uh, I was reading her a story that's, a, that's an epic in India. It's a Hindu epic called Ramayana. And uh, I had been read that story when I was a child, you know, and so on and so forth. I think my parents were read that when they were children and so on. And I was just going through the first chapter and she stopped me. And she said, what's wrong with King Dasaratha? He's the main character in the movie, in the, in the epic, right? And I said, what do you mean what's wrong with him? He said, she said, why is he shooting the deer with an arrow? What's wrong with him? Mm -hmm. The deer was just drinking water from the river and he shoots the deer. <laughs> and I had sort of, you know, I knew that story. And for me, it was normal that a king would shoot a deer with an arrow. And for her, it was like absolutely uh, you know, astounding that anyone would, would even do that. And then she said to me, don't ever read stories like this to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that even our epics have to be changed in a vegan world, you know, because uh, she has been brought up a vegan pretty much. Uh, and so for her, it was... It was uh, unthinkable that people would do that normally, right? That you would go around shooting animals with, with bow and arrow. Yeah. So, you, so you made the transition in two thousand eight right. to go to going vegan. Before that, were you vegetarian, or were yeah. you also eating? Were you still eating some meat, or no? No, no. I was vegetarian. Okay. I was uh, brought up a vegetarian. I was raised vegetarian. I did eat meat for a few years when I was in uh, in. Uh, university here in the U.S., yeah. but then I stopped. You know, once my once I saw how much it was hurting my parents. Yeah. Okay. And so your children, they obviously followed your lead, and they went vegan as well. They did. Yeah, they did in uh, 2014, I think, after watching Cowspiracy. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then, and, but then your 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 granddaughter was she influenced to go vegan by? Her parents or by you or a combination of the whole family? 
combination of the whole family i would say that my um, uh, her parents basically went along and said okay let's let's do that with her because we don't want her to go through this and then and then reverse it right so and so they were supportive and of course she was uh, staying with us for 2 to 3 days uh, a week and when she was here she was obviously vegan you know so Uh, so my my uh, my wife went vegan when kimaya was born mm-hmm. yeah when our granddaughter was born yeah. so in that sense you know she has really changed our lives <laughs> yeah. yes indeed okay so when did the infamous pinky promise uh, uh when when was that what year that was 2016 okay. so the way it happened was uh, in 2014 the world wildlife fund had had issued a living planet report that said that between 1970 and 2010 we wiped out 52% of all wild vertebrates in terms of total weight okay 52% so i did a calculation at that point saying if we continue wiping out wild vertebrates uh, at the same rate and assuming that the rate at which we are killing them is proportional to the size of our economy. Yeah. Okay. That was an assumption I made. And then if you extrapolate that out, I uh it turned out that by 2026 we are on track to hit 100%. So that so at current rates of decline by by 2026 100% of wild vertebrates will will basically die. Be off. gone. Be gone, yeah. Okay. So it's a functional extinction. I mean, you could keep one or two yeah. tigers alive and pretend they're not extinct, and, and for another seventy years, you know, because the tigers live for seventy years or whatever. Yeah. But that's we're just kidding ourselves, right? So functionally, we'd be we'd be completely extinct by two thousand twenty-six, right? Uh, all wild vertebrates. So that was the calculation I made in two thousand fourteen, and I was really shocked. You know, I thought. My god if this is really true why isn't everybody screaming about this okay why isn't it out there and and i thought that maybe my calculations are wrong mm-hmm. because i'm basing it on the assumption that is proportional to the size of the economy mm-hmm. what if it that wasn't true right now again uh, looking back i feel ashamed that i did that that i said i was going to wait till the next report because that's what i did because if you find out that 52% of something is gone wouldn't you take action right away and i should have taken action right away anyway yeah. i waited for 2 years until the next report came out uh because this world wildlife fund living planet report comes out every 2 years so it came out the one in 2016 said that between 1970 and 2012 we wiped out 58% of wild vertebrates so we are on track if we just do a linear extrapolation we are on track to hit 100% by 2026 so i had just read that report and and i basically confirmed my worst fears and that evening i was reading a story to kimaya in bed and it was a uh, uh, ruby roth's story that's why we don't eat animals Now one of the things I had promised Kimaya is that I'll never ever lie to her. And that's based on my discovery that I had been lied to as a child in my textbooks. 
So I said, you know, I want Kimaya to have at least one source that will never lie to her, no matter what. See, she has any doubt, she can ask me, and I will tell her the truth. Okay. So uh, after the story, she asked me, Grandpa, who were the first human beings? And to me, it's a very uh, profound question, you know. Who were the first human beings? So I told her, I'm going to explain to you how evolution works. So imagine that you're standing on the street and you're holding your mother by your hand and you ask your mother to bring her mother to stand by her side and so on. So you create a long line of mothers on this side of the street. And on the other side of the street, you ask a chimpanzee to do the same thing with her mother and her grandmother and so on. By the time these two lines go from Phoenix to Tucson, they would merge because both lines are going to say, hey, that's my mama too. Immediately, she just sat up in bed and she said, what? Are you telling me that animals are my family? And, you know, I had never put it together like that. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> I just knew the theory of evolution. It never occurred to me to put it together like that. So I said, now that you put it that way, yeah, they are your family. And she said, then, then why are people eating my family? Mm. Grandpa, make them stop. They're eating my family. She started bawling. So here is this five-year-old bawling away. And I realized I had created a world full of monsters for her by explaining to her the theory of evolution. So I was trying to console her and say, you know, I told her, look, it's my job to make them stop. Please stop crying. It's my job to make them stop. As soon as I said that, she stopped crying. She looked at me wide-eyed. She said, this is your job? This is your job? You know you haven't done your job? <laughs> so do your job. When will you do your job? <laughs> and she was sort of shaking her finger in my face. And I said, okay, I better do it by 2026. Otherwise, we are all in big trouble. And she said, will you promise me that? I said, okay, I'll promise you that. She said, will you give me a pinky promise? I said, sure, I'll give you a pinky promise. And I had no idea what it meant, okay? So she said, hold out your pinky. Yeah. And then she locked her pinky in mine and she said, you can never, ever break a pinky promise. Mm -hmm. And then she went to sleep. Put her head on my shoulders and went to sleep right away. <laughs> and I was, I couldn't sleep because I realized I'd made a very serious promise mm -hmm. to a young girl and I better figure out how to keep it. And, uh, and I thought at first, who am I to make this promise? you know, on behalf of all humanity. And, um, but then I finally dozed off and I remember waking up, you know, the next morning uh, with, the, with the thought in my head that you're a systems engineer, damn it. This is what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, figure out the systems that need to change. Just figure out the system transformation that needs to happen to create a vegan world by 2026 because we have no choice. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. We really don't. And, um, you know, I, I would encourage everybody that's listening to go to climatehealers.org and look at the incredible website that you and your team have, have put together. It really is remarkable. But, you know, you talk about how we need to reset and we need to transform and we need to go from being a predator species to a caretaker species, right? which is um, a very, very powerful way of of phrasing that mm -hmm. um and then and then you have you list four things as as your philosophy at climate healers 
And if you don't mind, I'd like to read each one and then maybe sure. if you want to you want to comment on them. And this <laughs> first one really links back to the story you were just telling uh, with the fathers holding each other's hands and the mothers and how we meet and we're one big family. But you say all life is one family. Our family includes all humans, animals, birds, fishes, and insects. Right, right. Yeah. It's a, it's basically uh, the philosophy of Vasudeva Kutumbakam in Hinduism. You know, um, we we say that we say all life is one family, the whole universe is one family, mm-hmm. and it it to me I had known that you know I had been taught that, but it wasn't visceral for me until my my granddaughter pointed it out to me and it became it became visceral for her she felt it you know within her mm-hmm. and um, and so it is it is now doing what we say yeah so do we really mean it you know so it's that yeah no number 2 is we don't hurt members of our family but we treat them with kindness and compassion so yeah. very much an extension of one. Right, yeah. yeah. So it's about creating a compassionate civilization in which we can live in harmony with all life, right? Uh, we don't have to go and deforest 30 million acres every year, um, which is yeah. what we do now, you know? We don't, so we can give them space, we can give them respect and uh, treat them with kindness, all life, right? So it's basically implementing uh, Nonviolence as routine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in, in and, our and, civilization. Yeah, and speaking of nonviolence, um, in, in reading up on on you, it sounds like uh, Mahatma Gandhi was very much a, as he was for so many people, just um, really I think affected affected you in his whole nonviolence, truth force kind right. of way way of um of of employing a technique to kind of rally the people yeah he did such a great job of employing nonviolence and and satyagraha not the truth force yeah uh, and bringing it to uh, to the masses so everybody could understand that they could participate in this into bringing making truth a daily part of our lives yeah, and he and he did it back in what 1926 with the is it pronounced Kadi Kadi clothes? Right, yeah. right. And then you've taken that and you've kind of extrapolated it, and you know you're you're saying that it is our duty to induce people by any honest means necessary to mm-hmm. go vegan. Um, right. I, I find that what why the word honest is that is that just uh, is that a pretty important part of it? Honest. Yeah, it's a very important part of it because it's about making sure that your um, the ends do not justify the means. You know, mm-hmm. so so you don't use um, dishonest means to get people to go vegan. It, you have to basically appeal to them, and because change from you know uh, change that is lasting happens from within people. Mm. Okay, uh, external manipulation only works temporarily; it doesn't work. Um, permanently. And so it's about inspiring people, telling them a different story, a story that of belonging in nature. Yeah. Right. And so then people say, oh, I do belong too, exactly as I am. Yeah. And that seems to be really the crux of 
of what you are trying to do at Climate Healers, what I'm trying to do at Plant Strong, what so many of us activists are trying to do, it's how do we get people to hear hear that voice within them that speaks that this this lifestyle, oh my gosh, this this is the truth. This makes so much sense. Right. Right? Because there's so much noise and there's so many so many distractions and so many mixed messages right now. Mm-hmm. that I think are very, very confusing for people. Right? Yeah. And I think that that then leads to pillar number three that you have, which is speciesism, colonialism, racism, um, ableism, and patriarchy are built into the money game that we are playing. The game promotes selfishness, greed, and apathy. The three main environmental problems identified by Gus Speth. Right, right. So they are built into the game of money. So it's, you know, we are a species that uh, coordinates our actions among millions and even billions of us by playing common games Mm -hmm. and telling common stories. Like the story of, uh, of United States, that's a story, story of nations. It's a story. I mean, the other animals are looking at us saying, what the heck is this boundary, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We made it up, right? Yeah. So we all made it up. Somebody went and sat and actually drew a line on a map and that became a boundary of a nation. Yeah. And so we made up all these divisions among ourselves. And these are stories we tell. And then uh, money is a game we are playing. And it's a and the rules of the game. So we have sort of bought into the rules of the game. And we are sort of born into that game because the game has been going on for thousands of years, right? So we're born into that game. And in the game, some a few people are special. They are the ones who can create money. They're called banks, right? So they are the owners of the banks. They are the ones who can create money. And then the banks can create money as a loan. So this is the uh, fractional reserve currency system that we have created, right? Fiat currency system. So the banks can create money as a loan and ordinary people can go and borrow money from the bank if they have a project that the bank would fund. And then the bank will ask you to return the money along with it, return interest on the money. Okay. Now, suppose you have a flood in your home and you cannot return the money and you go to the bank and you say, sorry, I cannot return the money. Forgive my debt. They're not going to forgive you that. In fact, the state apparatus is set up to go and grab all the rest of your assets and give it to the bank. Okay? So basically, in any dispute between the individual and the bank, the state comes on the side of the the bank. So this is how wealth is funneled from the bottom to the top. Okay? That's the system we have. So I found out, for instance, you know, when I buy... uh, uh, a pound of rice for $2 in the supermarket. If I go trace it back to the person who grew that rice, she only got five cents a pound. So she got five cents a pound for growing the rice. And so the rest was funneled off and um, siphoned off her wealth by middlemen and by, by the store, 
Jeff Bezos in this case, because I was, was at Whole Foods. So she really literally got ripped off in the game. Okay. And then she lives in a village. And by the time she has to buy something that's a necessity for her, like say, for instance, clothes that she doesn't make on her own, she has to pay beyond retail prices. So it's not, you know, $5 for a um, shirt. It's $50 for a shirt. Mm -hmm. Because by the time the shirt comes to the village, everybody has marked it up. So she's getting ripped off on the rice she grew and she's getting ripped off on the other end. This is why she and her family are going hungry. So I said, everything is built into the game. The game of money builds in and says, you know, it's if you take money, if you take profit on the way up, we celebrate you. <laughs> we build statues for you, you know. So basically, uh, we promote that as profit taking. Right. Whereas on the way down, let's say if I donate one dollar or two dollars in charity, and only five cents receives the gets to the person who I donated the money to, I get really mad and I, I throw the person in jail, right, for stealing. <laughs> so we know we can do this, except we don't do it. We know we can transfer resources from one end to the other without too much waste, but we don't do it on the way up. That's the game of money. That's the game of money which has all these things built in. Yeah. And so the rules of the game are set up to create this you know, advantage. So I say that you know, we have a system that's based on two foundational axioms. First is the axiom of consumerism, which says that happiness comes from consuming more and more and more. Okay, the more you consume, the happier you are. So this is what I call the false axiom of consumerism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So because I was looking at these systems models for civilization, like the MIT World Three Systems Model, or the Stockholm Resilience Institute's uh, Earth Three Systems Model, and in the, all those models, the assumption is that every human being is trying to consume an infinite amount of stuff. So it's never ending. Everyone wants infinite amount, and then you say, "Okay, the planet is going to die." <laughs> <laughs> and we are calculating when is the planet going to die if we do that. And so the foundational assumption is wrong. The false axiom of consumerism is wrong, you know, because that says that uh, the pursuit of happiness is best accomplished by stoking and satisfying a never-ending series of desires in mm -hmm. human beings, which is what I call the greed is good rule. Yeah. So the greed is good rule is the foundation of our civilization. And the second foundation of our civilization, the second false axiom, is the false axiom of supremacism, which is that life is a competitive game in which those who have gained an advantage may possess, enslave, and exploit animals, nature, and the disadvantaged for their pursuit of happiness. Okay? So this is why if you're born into an advantage, you are entitled to keep it. You know, um, or you, if you gain an advantage somehow, you're entitled to keep it. So they create these, these two false axioms create a civilization that we have built so far. How do you think that those axioms would resonate in India? Well, India is, uh, uh, 
first of all culturally the, these two axioms would be <laughs> the exact opposite of what we say we are doing right <laughs> because in all our epics both the epics of you know in the uh, specifically i have to speak about hindu epics right so the hindus are 80% of india's population they're not 100% so the india does have lots of other religions built in but the culture of india is about pointing out that happiness does not come from satisfying desires it's foundational to our culture okay because the story of ramayana is about that because the bad guy in ramayana has 10 heads mm. and every time he cut off a head a new head is born so he represents desires yes yes and never, so, never fulfilled <laughs> never fulfilled yeah 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 uh let me read number 4 your number 4 pillar here in your philosophy and that is we cannot heal our world and achieve true equality with inalienable rights to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness for all members of our family without transforming and you just spoke to this our money game into a more serious one that has equality built in by design and promotes selflessness generosity and activism right how i mean we let's do that let's make it happen right yeah it's a new money game yeah so basically you have to create a different set of rules for the money game the new money game okay and it's a game just like the current money game is a game mm-hmm. you know somebody has got lots of zeros next to their account <laughs> other people don't have so that, that many zeros right so it's a game we are playing and i say okay we need to transition to another game in which the currency flows from the bottom up as opposed to top down yeah. so when it flows from the bottom up then everyone feels like they belong on earth everyone feels like they are part of the family of life right and what is that game telling you it just says that what is the, what is the impact of this money it just says that other people are going to do things for you so feel secure mm-hmm. feel secure you don't have to feel insecure right yeah yeah you 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 claim that you are a vegan and uh, and i want to say what vegan stands for because i i think this is really powerful and it kind of changes to me the way people w- should look at the word vegan the acronym is vitally engaged guardians of animals and nature who doesn't want to be a vitally engaged guardian of animals and nature everyone right. everyone should be totally right yeah. yeah that's how that i feel is our role as a species okay so we thought we were here just to amuse ourselves if you look at our current civilization that's mm-hmm. what it seems like you know who is getting the most resources those who can amuse us the most yeah you know and uh, so but then once climate change happened we realized that we are here for a serious purpose yeah because as soon as you admit that you have changed the climate of the planet that we have the power to change the climate of the planet we have automatically assumed responsibility for stabilizing it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and for maintaining it forever whether we like it or not we own the climate of the planet as right. a species okay because if we can if we can change it and we can uh, we can make it really hot or make it really cold 
then we have to keep it steady. I mean, we are the Goldilocks. You know, we are the ones who have the, yeah. who have the responsibility to make, create a Goldilocks planet. Yeah, and I think that that is something that I don't think that most people, and I could be wrong here, but most people realize what's going on right now with this climate pollution and the warming of the planet. This is on us. Right. This is on us, right? We are the ones to take responsibility for for this. Right. And and I think that I think that needs to be you know one of the primary steps in, in order for us to fulfill your 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 granddaughter's pinky promise. Right. Um, and, and and you know the vegan movement is literally the fastest growing social justice movement in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it is the yeah. fastest growing, and it's worldwide. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of it. It's like people throughout the world are waking up and saying, you know, we don't want to do this anymore yeah. to the animals. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Very much so. And so that 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 gives me so much hope. But I'm wondering, like, you've been at this a while now, mm -hmm. right? Since since you found Climate Healers. Did you say it was in 2007? 2007. Uh -huh. 2007. And I'm wondering, you know, do you feel like you're going to be able to keep that pimpy? Pinky promise in 2026. <laughs> so we are working on a paper now, uh, a white paper uh, called the on the theory of change, how change happens. Because you know, history to me is a chronicle of all the nonlinear transformations that happened in humans in human history. It's before that. It was different. After that, it's different. Mm. So you see this boundary, and and we chronicle those boundaries. We don't chronicle things that stayed the same. You know, so if you look at every event in history, it was a nonlinear shift that happened. And so, how do you create this nonlinear shift in in the current world? How do we get people to play the new game? How do we get people to transform? Right, so that's the uh, the theory of change. How do you how how does this happen? And so we've been working on a model that would help us do that. And the model starts by saying, okay, we are currently in this infinite consumption model. Everyone is trying to consume more and more and more, and then it's really a Ponzi scheme we are running, you know. And and Ponzi schemes always collapse when they don't grow. So. So how do you stop it from growing so that it collapses and people shift to something new? Well, you have to build the new. If you don't build the new, people are going to stay with the old, right? Because they, it's something that they're familiar with. They, they, they can play that game, so they stay with the old. So you have to build the new and get enough people to start playing it so that the, when the sum of the two GDPs then stops growing, the old collapses and everyone gets and jumps onto the new one, saying, I'd rather play that game than this game. Yeah. You know? So I say it's, uh, it's the onus is on the vegan community to build a new game in which no one has to hurt animals and everyone feels like they belong. Mm -hmm. Everyone feels like they belong no matter when they join. So it shouldn't be a function of, oh, you know, I'm vegan 50 years and therefore I deserve more. Yeah. 
I've been vegan 40 years, I deserve more. You, know, you deserve more respect. Yeah, you started this off, but ultimately everyone should feel like they're treated fairly in the game. Then people will want to come and join the game, right? So it's that fairness and equality has to be built into the game. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so how do you create a new set of new set of rules in a new game like that? Well, we have done this before. It's not like this is something new, right? Uh, I think before Monopoly game was invented, there was there was a version of Monopoly that was all about how do you collaborate? Yeah. And every engineering project that I've been on has been a collaboration of people. You know, you couldn't have built these things without just one person sitting around doing it. No, mm-hmm. you there are teams of hundreds of people who had to work on it to make that happen. You you talk about how we should regenerate and live light live lightly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you encourage us to put on our chrysalis avatar and and leave the caterpillar caterpillar past behind. And I and I know you've written a whole, you wrote a book. One of your first books was about carbon carbon dharma, the mm-hmm. occupation of butterflies. And you you talk about how the caterpillar in the cocoon faces a stark binary choice: evolve or die. Mm-hmm. And so. Would you say that that's where we are right now? We're in that cocoon, and yep. uh, and, and 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 this is kind of a, a moment of do or die, isn't it? Literally, I'd say it is. Uh, I say COVID nineteen is Mother Nature sending us to her rooms. It's the cocoon, saying think about what you've done, and figure out what you want to become when you get out. And so far, we have been saying, you know, uh, the. We've been coming out and saying, I want to be a caterpillar again. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> right? And and I'm saying, no, folks, there is no future there. Yeah. There's no future there. So we really have to think about what are we going to do in the cocoon? Are we going to go back to trying to be a caterpillar and therefore die? Or are we going to evolve out of this? And and I think we are going to evolve. You know, So, so we are working on creating an event, just like Gandhi did the Salt March yeah. in 1930, that woke people of India up you know, and said, hey, we can take power back. We can actually do this ourselves. And that was uh, the idea behind the Salt March. Because the, uh, the Salt March happened because the British imposed a tax on salt. And Gandhi said, I'm not paying any tax on salt. I can just go to the ocean and make my own salt. So. <laughs> And that's what he did, right? And um, and then they threw him in jail for doing that, of course. <laughs> but now I'm saying that let us go feed every human being on the planet a healthy vegan meal on one day. Yeah. Can we not do that on one day? Can feed everybody a healthy vegan meal. What is a healthy vegan meal? Well, you know that. I mean, we know that. It's mm-hmm. whole food, plant-based, and it's... Uh, satisfying, and it is you know you know what Absolutely. it should be. Yes, yeah, very much so. So let's feed everyone on the planet a healthy vegan meal on one day, and overcome world hunger on one day, because we are we have been constantly told that world hunger is a tough problem, it's a wicked problem that cannot be solved, and I'm saying bull, you know that's yeah. not true. Yeah, bull cow. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's not true. World hunger is not a wicked problem. It's a wicked problem if you want money for your for your food. 
If food is given away for free, it's not a wicked problem. So what day? So what day are we going to have uh, have it be, you know, Vegan World Day? World Food Healers Day is yeah. November 19th of 2022. November 19th, 19th. you said? Ooh. Yeah. Okay, I can't wait to rally everybody and make that happen. So you said Food Healer. So Food Healers, that's a that's an, another organization that you launched. Uh, and that is because of something that happened to you and your family during COVID, right? Where you right. decided that you would help a, a family in need, correct? Right. Yeah. yeah, so you were just helping a family in need because they, they ran out of, uh, I mean, they didn't have a job, they ran out of money, and they went to a food bank and they were getting really bad food. So they they appealed to us, you know, and, and they couldn't speak English either. So anyway, I we started feeding them. Basically, I would cook for 10, so I would cook 10 meals together and take it and give it to them. And I realized if I just look at the ingredient cost of what I was cooking, it was about $5 for the total. $5 for 10 meals. Right. I said, what? That's 50 cents. Right. 50 cents a meal. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, during the COVID days, you know, but uh, I'm sure prices have gone up now, but still, yeah. you know, it wasn't much. So I said, you know, is that all it takes to feed people healthy meals? That's all it takes, folks. Yeah. And so why can't we do that? Yeah. So we started Food Healers. Uh, as uh, The idea behind Food Healers is to make sure that healthy food, healthy vegan meals are easily available to everybody. So we do that every week here in Phoenix. Uh, we are doing it once a month in Santa Monica, California. Mm -hmm. And we are appealing to everyone to do it in your neighborhood. Basically, just whatever you can afford, you know. So we cook about 100 meals in Phoenix every Wednesday. And we go to uh, the tent city. It's right there in front of the government offices in Phoenix. Okay? There's a tent city with thousands of people. Yeah. And we give it away. And it disappears within an hour. You know? uh, and people like our food because they say it makes them feel good. Well, you have on the, on the website... You have uh, the recipe for Unity Stew mm -hmm. that for $2.50, you can make uh, a meal that serves five. So we'll be sure to put that uh, in our show notes. Uh, if anybody wants to go see that recipe that you can make for back when you made this, it was for 50 cents a, right, uh, yeah. a, a meal. And I think you got most of the ingredients at Costco, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. 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 Now. I want to, so we haven't mentioned this at all, but I know that you did a global sensitivity study um, a couple of years back and you actually found that the amount of greenhouse gas emissions from animal agriculture was not 51%. It wasn't 18 or 14.5. It was <laughs> 87%. Right. I mean, that is alarming. Yeah. It's huge because you think about it, okay? As I pointed out that uh, the CO2 on land is three times the amount of CO2 in, in the atmosphere, yeah. okay? And on land, we are using 43% of the land to grow food for our animals. And most of that land, you know, most of that land is grazing land on which we deliberately chop down trees and we burn things, burn any vegetation that 
wasn't eaten by our animals. It's called pasture maintenance fires. And they're not even counting that in the FAO doesn't count any of that. Okay. Pasture maintenance fires, anything like that. And what does the what does FAO stand for? The Food and Agriculture Organization of okay. the UN. Yeah. Okay. So they the food and organ uh, the food and animal organization. Agriculture. Agri yeah. Sorry, sorry, agriculture organization. They don't count burning down forests as uh, in their uh, in their calculations. They don't count burning down the pastures, pasture yeah. maintenance fires. They don't okay. count that. Uh, the forests also they only count the net of the deforestation and the afforestation. So, so they are actually taking credit for all of nature's healing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they said, "Oh, you know, whatever." Basically, it's it's like taking credit for what uh, someone else did. You know, <laughs> taking credit for this industry. You so you say that there's much for us to do, and time is running out. Right. And that there's, I think it's six questions that need to be asked. And five of them have been, are easily answerable. The first one is, who should attend? And the answer is all of us, mm -hmm. right? The second question is, what is it? And the answer is a system of normalized nonviolence. Mm -hmm. Where is this going to occur? Well, it's right here, planet Earth, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right. This this wonderful marble that we're all on, when by two thousand and twenty six, right. why to prevent year zero, and then this is so those are all answerable, mm -hmm. right? The one that is not is how, right? And, and 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 your what is your what is your message to everybody that's out there that's listening to this? as to how they can help make this happen. Join us. There is a, there is a movement happening. We have, uh, we uh, started this quarterly convergence of the peoples. It's called the vegan convergence of the peoples. And vegan stands for the vitally engaged guardians of animals and nature. Yeah. You know, vegan convergence of the peoples. And we meet every quarter and it is called VCOP as opposed to the UN COP, which is the yeah. conference of the parties. And the UN COP meets once a year. And we are saying we want to meet every quarter. And we talk about how do we go about doing this? So we talk about the different aspects of the transformation. And for the next two uh, COPs, V COPs, we're going to be focusing on World Food Healers Day, which is how do we get every human being on the planet yeah. fed a healthy vegan meal on that day? When's going to be the date of your next uh, VCOP? Next VCOP oh. is August 6th and 7th. Okay. Because you, you just had one uh, Saturday, April 30th and su to Sunday, May 1st. Correct. Yeah, that was the VCOP 9. Yes. So VCOP 10 is August 6th and 7th. And VCOP 11 will be August, November 5th and 6th. Because November 7th through 18th is the UN COP27 that's going to be held in uh, uh, Egypt. Mm -hmm. And so November 19th is World Food Healers Day. It's the day after COP27 ends. Yes. And it happens to be Kimaya's birthday. It's her oh. 12th birthday. Nice. nice. And so I have a deadline that's her 16th birthday, which is November, <laughs> November 19, 2026. 
<laughs> she wants a vegan world by then. So, so this is like a reminder for us, you know, of yes. how do we go about doing it? Let's feed everybody on one day. And I think that will empower us Yes. as a, as a species. It will empower us. Yeah. Saying, hey, we can solve these problems ourselves. We don't have to wait for them. We don't have to wait for governments to solve. We can help solve this ourselves. I don't mind governments joining us, but we have to feed everyone a healthy vegan meal on one day. So I would encourage everybody, go to climatehealers.org. Uh, look at all the great resources and, um, and activism that is going on there and, uh, and share and share with people you know. Um, you know what I would love to do right now with you is, let me pull this up here if I can, is I want to take the Ubuntu pledge. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, Ubuntu. Ubuntu. And and what does Ubuntu stand for? Ubuntu is we are one family. Again, it's the same idea. It's an African version of Vasudeva uh, Kutumbakam. We are one family. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to take this pledge right here, right now. And I would encourage all of you to go to climatehealers.org uh, after you listen to this and take the pledge as well. And it's this. I pledge to honor and protect all the animals, people, and the planet herself by following an infinitely sustainable, cruelty-free, vegan lifestyle that heals the climate and restores right relationships in the true spirit of Ubuntu. And uh, I, I loved seeing you say those same words with your granddaughter right behind you. Right. <laughs> was really beautiful. Um, man, Salesh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate everything that you are doing to, uh, by 2026, heal, heal this, this planet. The fact that you have, you know, taken on this responsibility, uh, is, is massive. And you have lots of people that, um, that want to join you in making this a reality so that, that, that pinky promise lives on. Thank right? you so much. Literally and figuratively. Um, any, any, any last words that you'd like to say to our listeners? Thank you one and all for being here. And thank you for being part of this movement. This is, and each and every one of us has a role to play in this movement. So thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you. You are a beautiful man through and through. Thank you, Silesh. Thank you so much for listening today. The vegan movement is the fastest growing social justice movement, and I hope that you are inspired to take action, just like Selesh. For information on everything that we discussed today, including his VCOP conferences, food healers, and his beautiful pinky promise, visit climatehealers.org. There are a wealth of resources and education to help you take the next steps both personally and in your community. Thanks for listening and always keep it Plant Strong. The Plant Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. 
and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.